Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How would you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset, and that's when you can reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. Look, it's summertime. Transfer window is coming up. It's gonna get crazy. So if you ever just wanna, again, take a step back and relax, read the transfer rounds, read the gossip rumors, grab a Coors Light. It'll be perfect companion for all those transfer merry-go-rounds. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. The mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when the beer is cold. That way you always know when it's time to chill. When you need to hit reset, just open a Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Now that it's finally hot in Minnesota, I'm going to be looking for an easy beer to drink, and Coors Light is perfect for that. It's lagered, it's cold filtered, and it's cold packaged. It's, again, made to chill. It's crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies perfect for a moment to unwind and so when you want to hit reset reach for the beer that's made to chill get coors light in the new look delivered straight to your door with drizzly or instacart coors brewing company golden colorado and as always celebrate abner maris is a world champion boxer olympian sports commentator and most importantly dad to two little girls beloved by abuelas the hardcore fans alike abner is a pro at entertaining the world both in and out of the ring. On Blue Wire's new podcast, On the Hook with Abner Mars, we'll hear from Abner and his family, fellow athletes, and other people who made him the boxer and the man he is. They chat about topics like the state of boxing, Abner's journey from a kid on the streets to boxing champ, sports, music, culture, and family life, and just being a husband and a girl dad. Listen to On the Hook with Abner Mars whenever you get your podcasts. Episodes in English out on Tuesdays and episodes in Spanish out on Wednesdays. Hi, this is Ruben Loftus-Cheek. I'm Pat Nevin. I'm Mason Mount. You're listening to the London is Blue podcast. All right. Welcome back to another episode of the London is Blue podcast. As always, your host, Brandon, joined by Dan and Nick. And uh, we're back to a special Matt Law episode. So obviously Matt is back to join us. We're excited to have you, sir. Yeah, good to be with you. Good to be with you. Lots to talk about. There is, especially for those listeners that know me well in my origin story, Pig Pete back in the headlines. Few things catch my eye better than that. So uh, I promise we teased it on yesterday's pod. We're going to deliver today. Uh, but that won't be the first thing we get into because now that I've given up script writing duties, I don't get to control the flow as much anymore. And Dan has absolutely pushed it back. But that's fair because we should kick in right away with, uh, you know, a little bit of current state of the state at Chelsea. Big picture stuff mm-hmm. since obviously Matt is well sourced in a lot of different parts of the club. What's working, what's not working. Uh, obviously, then we'll get into the big Pete stuff and then we'll talk about. Uh, Chelsea's role, ideas, sentiments, anything related to the big picture um, project and the potential European Super League. So getting right into it, uh, Matt, we talked a little bit last time about the idea that Frank and the club were looking at the pre-international break as preseason. Yeah. Now that we've returned from that break and seen Chelsea deliver two draws, what's your sense on how much things are or are not going to plan at the moment. Well, it was interesting last night. We noted that um, when Hakim Ziyech came onto the pitch, that was the first time that all of Chelsea's major six major signings had been on the pitch at the same time. So that felt like a moment. 
I think we're going to see that a little bit more now. Um, so Frank will be delighted from that perspective that he's got them all on the pitch and that you, you would imagine from here on in, they're all kind of available to him until anyone picks up an injury or a suspension or something. So there's progress being made. Fitness is, is getting better. Um, I think it's also interesting, we've seen on these Southampton and Seville games, and it's going to continue, that he's going to have to manage Thiago Silva. Um, Thiago Silva is not going to be able to play every single game. Now, he may well be able to play against Man United and then Krasnodar because there's obviously no international game and no journey for him to make. But there's another international break in November. Does that mean after that international break, will he have to miss the next game again because the guys from Brazil generally get back a little bit later? Obviously, he's a bit older than most. So we talked to him about that a little bit last night in the post-match and, and he kind of said that, that certainly Thiago is going to be managed. So he's got to almost work out now two central defensive partnerships because we have, I think we've got to think that now Thiago and Zuma is emerging as number one. Um, given what happened against Southampton, number two is completely up in the air still, I'd suggest. Um, so that's an interesting development. Um, and yeah, I think he thinks that now, now they're sort of should be, should be falling into some kind of shape over the next couple of weeks and certainly before the next international break. So the, the, South, the way they, they sort of messed it up against Southampton was a setback, but last night was a step back in the right direction, I thought. So a, a quick follow on Ziyech, um, a player that I think a lot of Chelsea fans are rightly excited about, uh, picked up a knock in the Brighton friendly yeah. uh, and then was on rehab duty and then went on international duty. Uh, which is a little surprising. Um, did you get the sense that they're going to have to work him in a little bit more slowly than, you know, a lot of supporters are anticipating or is, you know, there, is it kind of all green light from here? Well, his injury took longer for him to get, get over than was initially expected. I remember when he first did it in that friendly, they were just talking a couple of weeks and I think we knew he'd missed the first game of the season, but I think we, we thought he'd be in contention then. So, I don't know whether that points to the fact he's maybe a bit of a slower healer than some of the others or whether it just became a little bit of a niggle that they couldn't quite get rid of. But, I mean, Frank's big on them having to be super, super fit. He won't rush people back. Um, having said that, Mendy came back very quick, but I think we can we can all agree that the goalkeeping situation is a little bit unique at Chelsea at the moment. Um, but no, the, the Morocco one, him, him playing for the international certainly annoyed him. Um, certainly annoyed Lampard. They, they they didn't want that to happen, albeit he then got sent back um, to then have some good work. So so that helped. So yeah, he's he's the one we don't we still don't know too much about Ziyech. I think we're getting to learn about the others a little bit more. Can probably work out where Frank France is seeing them play, and we can probably work out how fast it's going to turn. For instance, Werner, as we thought, looks ready to go. I still think Havertz is going to be more of a slow burn. Um, Chilwell has hit the ground running, done really, really well. Silver, after his, his difficult afternoon at West Brom, now looks like he's he's settled and, and fine. So I think Ziyech is the one who's going to be interested in this next week or so, just where we get a, when we get a bit more of a sight of him to see how long it looks like it will take him to adapt. You would have thought it shouldn't take him too long. Matt, you know, just given the names that you ran through, so five of the, the six signings that we have had a chance to see a few more minutes on than Ziesch, 
which one are you seeing or are you kind of hearing is the one that's impressed, you know, Frank in the the side the most? You know, I think Chilwell is the one that maybe seems to be shocking a lot of people. But, you know, Mendy obviously is starting to look solid in goal, has two clean sheets back to back. Where's your sense on that? Well, I know at the start of the season, at the very start, Werner was the one who from preseason training had everybody very excited. Um he, started, he had obviously started with Chelsea quite early because he opted out of Leipzig's Champions League. And I think they thought they were really going to see the benefit of it. And I know that he's only just scored in the Premier League, but I, I know that they've been very pleased with the way he started. I mean, Chilwell, for me, has has settled in incredibly well. I know he's he should be Premier League ready and there's no obvious reason why he shouldn't be able to slot in. But still, to, to come in and do as well as he, well, as he has, I think, really impressive and really... I think it's really important for him because £50 million for a defend for a left-back is an awful lot of money. And I know it's one Frank pushed hard on personally. I suspect if Frank hadn't been driving it, the club would have looked at cheaper left-backs because, as I say, £50 million for a left-back, no club particularly wants to pay that kind of money for full-backs um, unless the manager is absolutely adamant about it. So I think that's an important one for Frank to go well and go well quickly because I think that's probably the one he's driven on hardest maybe of all the signings um Mendy's looking assured Mendy's looking assured at the moment I mean it, he hasn't had a real test yet but the, I mean the fact he hasn't done anything stupid is a step up from what's been going on before him so <laughs> that's encouraging I was worried about silver as well I not just because of the West Brom game but I think I spoke to you guys about it I, I was worried that coming from a non-competitive league where he can dip in and out of games and the games, you know, you can dip your form up for, for the big games and, and coast through other games. I was worried about that with Silver, but so far on the, I didn't, I didn't go to the West Brom game. So I've seen him live twice so far against Palace and, and Seville where he's obviously been involved in clean sheets. And I've been really impressed with his, his positioning and his, he just brings a sense of calm. I noticed last night there was a, there was a, a moment in the last five minutes where Zuma looked a little bit nervous and he smashed the ball into the stands when he didn't really need to. And it obviously gave um, gave Seville a throw-in, an attacking throw-in. And and Silva just had a little word with him. I said, you did to do that. You could have just knocked it. We're not at a stage where we need to start smashing it into the stands and, and getting everybody nervous. And I think he's going to be really key from that point of view. So I think... Well, one, there's few people better poised to smash a ball out of a stadium than Kurt Zuma. <laughs> he had one moment last night where a foul was called and the attacker was still kind of run at him, and he just plowed through it. I think that was a little bit of a statement of intent by Big Kurt, um, but we can appreciate that. Um, Mason Mount, apparently a divisive player over in England, more so than the rest of the world because of his role under Gareth Southgate. Um do we have a situation with Mason, Frank playing him on the wing, Callum Hudson-Odoi is available. A lot of us think that Mason's probably best as an eight, box to box in the middle. Um, and then Mason played on the on the left and forced Pulisic to the right. Uh, we know that Mason can fit a lot of different roles in the team, but it's starting to get to the point where it's almost too fluid, I think. I am... Um... I'm a bit confused by the whole Mason Mount thing. It's interesting you say that you think it's a thing in England because when I look on my social media, 
it always strikes me as being more an overseas thing with with Mason. I know, I know there is a debate around England. Let's take England out of the, the equation with Mason. Let's let's focus on him as a Chelsea player for the purposes of this for now. I'm happy to go back to the England thing if you want to. But I always sense that the, the fans who go to Chelsea, go to Stamford Bridge or um, have followed the tradition of the club a bit more, I don't know, it's very choppy water for me to get into. I always feel that there's more of an appreciation maybe for Mason Mount there, whereas certainly on social media, a lot of the overseas reaction, I have to say, it, it seems to also tally in with a lot of the the old kind of Sari split as well. That, that Almost the people who loved Sari, who got very annoyed with the, the fans who didn't like Sari, seem to have taken against Mason Mount almost. It feels like the same sort of thing, that it split the fan base a little bit. I don't understand it because I always just think if you've got one of your own, it doesn't mean you have to say everything they do is brilliant and you don't have to absolve them of any criticism and no one would expect that. But why wouldn't you embrace him? I mean, for what he did last... He was my player of the season last season. I know people disagree with that. And he hasn't started this season quite as well as last season. But I do think part of that is he's almost a victim of his own success in the... He's been so key to Lampard and managed to do so many jobs well for Lampard and never last season really fell much below a sort of seven out of ten. Um, that Lampard almost feels like he can lean on him really heavily and, and play him an awful lot without resting him and, and chop and change his position. And it probably costs Mason a little bit because he gets he gets more criticism because of it. Lampard alluded to this himself as well a couple of weeks ago when he said that he... He, he is aware of the social media debate on Mason. He's also aware of the um, the allegations he gets of favouritism about him. And he, he referenced himself in, in that. And he said, remember, you know, I had that as a player myself. If you remember when he was a West Ham player and the West Ham fans turned on him and said that he was only getting in the team because of his dad. And I think he thinks there's an element around, around Mason of that. Personally, I personally think that and they're not playing the system at the moment. My favourite Mason Mount position is on the left side of a midfield three, a little bit further back. That's where I like him best. I think he's done well on the left of a forward three. I have no problem with him there. I don't really like him out on the right. And I don't think watching him play, you'd never get him to admit this because he's not the kind of lad, but I would suspect if, if you're having a very private conversation with him, you might get him to admit that that position on the right is probably the least favourite of his positions. Because to me, he just doesn't look as comfortable there. But what he brings to Chelsea there, even though you might lose a little bit of the creativity and, and the attacking sense, is he brings a tactical stability because Lampard can rely on him to press high up the pitch. He can rely on his energy levels. He can re rely on his discipline in tracking back. And if you've got Havertz in the team and Pulisic in the team, Maybe you, you still need Mount in there, even if it's on the right. Can you go Ziyech, Havertz, Pulisic? We don't know yet. Can you go those three against a team who are going to have a lot of the ball? We don't know yet. But I, I think it's unfair to get on at Mason. I really do. We support yeah. it, I think, for the record. No, 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 you, I know, but you, it's yeah. okay for us to go ahead. We will plant our flag on the pro-Mason side for sure. <laughs> but it's okay for people to crit criticise his performances. Agreed. I have no problem with that. And like I say, I, I don't think he's at his best on the right. I didn't think he was at his best last night. 
But I still think you've got to remember what Mason's done for someone of his age and how many games he's played. And if you think of some of the influential goals he scored against last, last season, I mean, the Wolves one obviously is a famous one. One that hurt me was the Villa one at home when they weren't playing very well and he smashed in that volley. He come he he comes up when he's needed to, and he he's he's done so well for Frank and been lent so heavily on that it's not a surprise that that Frank owes him a little bit as well. Well, it's it's one of the questions that we have though, right? And, and we've talked about it at length on on a couple of our recent shows, which is you know it, it it's pretty clear that Frank has made. Havertz kind of the focal point of the team with the way he's setting up, right? It's very clear that Havertz is going to play what is essentially a, a number 10 role. And then the wingers are, you know, largely responsible for a little bit of the tracking back because yeah. all our fullbacks love to get forward as well. <laughs> yeah. So it leaves you really exposed, right? If, if Jorginho and Conte are the midfield too, it leaves you really exposed in the back. And there hasn't been a ton of, a ton of fluidity between the midfield and the attack. So do you feel like, you know, just watching Mason understand, you know, we, we got to interview him as well. Like he, he's just seems like a guy who's, who's in for the cause no matter what, but do you get the sense that maybe he's, he's just kind of playing a role until this thing really gets clicking and is, is just there to help the team because certainly being out wide on the left where he can't really do as much cutting in as maybe he would like, and he isn't as quick as Pulisic, if we're, if we're fair about that. Do you think that's just kind of hurting him in the short term, but there's there's a long-term plan? Or do you get the sense that Lampard has a different... I think Lampard likes him on the left. He played that left role quite a lot last season. I mean, if you remember when Pulisic wasn't, wasn't, hadn't caught fire. He's he, a little bit more tucked in, though. I, I, I yeah, he's like. a little bit more tucked in. And obviously the system's different because it's, it's now a 4-2-3-1 rather than in a 4-3-3 and and that makes a difference too um but is he just fulfilling I don't I don't think anyone's just fulfilling a role as such but I don't think the shakedown is quite we're not quite there yet with it are we we're gonna we're gonna get there now that Ziyech is is back um and we're gonna start to find out exactly how this whole thing shakes down but whether you can play Ziyech Havertz and Pulisic when you're going to play against teams who have a lot of the ball will be very interesting. Um, and whether he, he at times has to go back to the 4-3-3 rather than the 4-2-3-1, which for now looks like it's the favoured way forward, will be interesting. But but Mount, Mount it's a tricky one. It, sometimes you, you think it'd be a whole lot easier if he could only play one position. And he would either be in or out the team on the basis of that one position rather than kind of three or four different positions. So, I, mean, I think, Dan, we, we agree that the midfield three on the left where he's able to press from a little deeper is probably where he's shined the most. Yeah, I agree with that. Like that that would be his position for me. And actually, I, I prefer Chelsea like that. I prefer them as a 4-3-3. But obviously, he's he's looking at things and, and trying to find ways of, of fitting players in at the moment. One of the things, Matt, you know, as we kind of get out of the Chelsea preseason and get into the place where maybe the club thinks that the matches matter a little bit more is we have three Premier League matches and two more Champions League matches between now and crazily enough, another international break coming up here in the beginning of November, which I'm sure we're all excited about. Uh, so what what's your sense of the expectation for Frank now to start delivering 
wins over draws, draws, draws over losses to kind of start to move the team forward, particularly as you start to see um, some sneaky teams up in the top of the table, Everton, Villa, a, a few others that maybe people weren't expecting at the start of the season and where Chelsea are kind of comparative. Obviously, early days, it's only a handful of points, but, you know, the Premier League season is crazy enough that a few points can make all the difference. Yeah, look, I think... Um... Look, table-wise, everyone's going to be relaxed. You know, I, I think off the top of my head, they have the same points as Man City at the moment, off the top of my head. Um, there's no gap, because the way Liverpool and Man City have started, there's, there's been no gaps developing. So it's not like the last two seasons where Liverpool and Man City started like absolute trains and were miles ahead of everyone, you know, basically from the off. Um the thing this season has always been important for Frank and Chelsea is to stay very competitive. So as, even if this is a funny season where there's some funny results, as long as they're in there and competitive and there's, there's no real gap, um, then I don't see too much problem. I mean, obviously within that, you've got to be winning some games and, and not losing too many games. But I think everyone accepts there's going to be funny results this season. Certainly the first half of the season, it might settle down, you know, post-Christmas when you know, fitness kicks in, but who knows, you know, we're going into various kinds of stages of lockdowns and things. So who knows whether it will settle down. But um, so I think everyone accepts there's going to be funny results. What he's got to remain, what what Lampard and Chelsea have got to remain is competitive this season and, and make sure that gap on the top, whether it's Liverpool and Man City or whether it becomes someone else, I doubt whether it will in, in the fullness of time, um, is smaller and much smaller than it has been. And, it looks like that's going to be the case this season. You know, Liverpool, what, what will put pressure now, extra pressure on Frank, is that Liverpool don't have Van Dijk. So you might suddenly have a situation where you think, OK, we didn't really think we could win the title in the summer. But now let's see how Liverpool are the next few weeks with no Van Dijk. And all of a sudden they might be thinking, well, actually, there's, there's an opportunity there and we, we've got to grasp it. So there's a lot of variables within that. Um, but yeah, look, at Chelsea, you've got to win games, haven't you? More than, more than pretty much any club in, in the world, at Chelsea, you've got to win games. So you're saying we should talk about the January transfer window now? <laughs> <laughs> no, not yet. Not yet. Not till All right. December. All right, good, good. We'll, we'll, we'll hold that off for a little bit, at least for another couple of weeks. Um, uh, but anyways, we're going to take a quick break. When we're back, got to talk about Big Pete. And we'll talk about the big picture project and a uh, potential European Super League. Thank you to the sponsors for financially supporting the show. We'll be right back. 2020 has been hard enough. And you know what? Worrying about your routine for taking care of business below the belt shouldn't have to be one of those things you're concerned about. Thankfully, our friends at Manscaped are making your life simple, and they're going to allow you to turn your bathroom with a snap into your very own private. This is the exact copy from the text. Dong Salon. You know, they're, they're concerned about your bangers and mash. They don't want it to look like a mess. You know, they don't want it to be the worst get it bangers and mash and worst anyway they just released their products in the uk canada and australia the lawnmower 3.0 trimmer offers a replaceable ceramic blade with the advanced skin safe technology that helps reduce grooming accidents that's plus waterproof technology allows you to groom in the shower and for up to 90 minutes hopefully not all in one sitting and they also released their shears 2.0 nail kit which is the perfect add-on for their lawnmower 3.0 trimmer their perfect package 
pun intended, comes with two free gifts and other liquid formulations to help complete your ball trimming routine. These formulations are all vegan, cruelty-free, dye-free, sulfate-free, and paraffin-free, if you know what all those are, to keep your, yes, this is in the text too, disco stick in good hands. Look, you're probably thinking about it. You know, you want to keep yourself smelling fresh. You've got the crop preserver for keeping the odor to a minimum downstairs. They've got a crop reviver toner that is spray on for the jewels. And then they've also got a foot duster deodorant. It's so good, you can even reduce the odor of the dirtiest feet. All these things sound great. And you know what? They got a code for our listeners London is blue. It's a 20% off, free shipping at manscaped.com. And so, you know, if you want to protect the package and not uh, not have it be the worst, uh, go hit it up now. Manscaped.com, use the code LONDONISBLUE for 20% off plus free shipping. Even though sports had a break, your business didn't. You have to keep moving, and that makes hiring more important than ever. Indeed is here to help. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets you the best people fast. Unlike other job sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need, and you can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier, like sponsored jobs, which are shown to be three and a half times more likely to result in hire. With 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, Indeed is going to get you the most important hire you need, just like they have for over 3 million businesses. It's a lot. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid through December 31st. All right. The much-anticipated segment that everyone has been asking about. Big Pete. Petter Check, A man near and dear to my heart. Not that he knows it, but surprisingly, a huge announcement yesterday before the match, Matt. I think this caught everyone looking left while we were looking right for the Champions League. And we're like, I'm sorry, what? And I like how you framed the tweet of, no... This was not a typo. Check wasn't supposed to be listed as staff and accidentally bumped up a couple rows. He's in the 25-man PL squad as a non-contract player. So the floor's open, sir. Like I, I read some of the Lampard quotes in your article that he retired too early. He's yeah. more mobile and, and flexible than he's ever been. And so I guess kind of take us back to the beginning. Is Is our understanding correct that he was sent out to kind of help rebuild Kepa's confidence and work with him and massage some things. And all of a sudden people went, uh, wait a second, he's he's still good. It's sort of, sort of. So basically, <laughs> basically what happened is is he wasn't sent out to do anything. Pete, Pete did it on his own. Um, Fair. Do you remember that it was actually this time last year, but pretty much almost to the day that um, he got announced as playing uh, professional ice hockey. Yep. Um, for, for Guildford Phoenix. And it was clear then he wants to keep himself fit and active. While he does have a desk job these days and he is on the administrative side, he's 38. He's, he's younger than Willie Caballero. Um, he wants to keep fit and active. So at some point over the summer, he, he just decided he wanted to train. It was as simple as this to start with. He wanted to train for his own fitness. He wasn't training every day. 
I don't know how often it was, but it could have been as little as maybe once a month. He was going out to do a bit of training as part of his own sort of fitness regime. Um, that developed into him obviously trying to help Kepa because that, that's just sensible. And it also developed into him while he was um, tasked with finding a new goalkeeper, trying to come up with an environment that would be good for when the new goalkeeper came in and, and, and trying to provide a, a stable place for them to come in and, and, and try and hit the ground running. And also to just look, look at the options, look at the coaching, look at everything. Um, now you're right, within that, once he starts training, once he starts doing things, I think he caught a little bit, a few people by surprise at just how fit and agile he still was. And I'm told that in the numbers, in terms of the numbers that they were doing with the goalkeepers, he was he was performing really well. There were jokes flying around that, you know, he still should be playing, that he could still be playing in the Premier League, that he was better than current Premier League goalkeepers. And I think it was just jokes. So I think there was just a bit of fun. I mean, someone said it's a bit of fun to me maybe a month or so ago, if Chelsea can't sign a goalkeeper, you know, look out for Big Pete. And we just laughed about it. You know, there was no sense that it was serious. And now I look back at that conversation and wonder if they hadn't have signed Mendy, would we be having Big Pete on the on the squad list thinking he could actually be, be playing soon? Um, but yeah, they had a space on the squad list. Look, if there hadn't been a space on the squad list, they wouldn't have been knocking anyone out of the squad to put Pete in. No way. They wouldn't have been... There was never, you know, the chance of a Rudiger or someone who's out of favour not taking a spot and then and then Big Pete being in that way. It was always going to be, we've got a space, you know, he's 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 proved he can do it, so so let's have him on there. Um, and, yeah, it's quite a story. I don't think he'll play. Look, there's got to be the biggest crisis. I, he's, for me, he's fourth-choice goalkeeper. They do have an academy goalkeeper, but um, I think Pete would be playing if all the three first team goalkeepers were to unfortunately get injured or suffer suspension or, or God forbid get coronavirus so there's a lot that's got to happen for him to get close to pulling on the gloves and I don't think he's expecting to he watched last night's game from the director's box not from anywhere near the substitutes or around the team so that that tells you where his priorities still lie but he's yeah he's he's got a job share at the moment he's a man of many talents though he can he can multi if anyone can multitask it's him I wrote, I wrote a piece on him today and someone told me yesterday that he managed to learn fully fluent Spanish in one pre-season whilst also at a major tournament for the Czech Republic. So he's not a normal human being. He's quite the polymath. Very, yeah, <laughs> very true. He is not a normal human being. Um, maybe that's the natural transition point to just talk about Kepa and Willie and the situation kind kind of second, third string past what is now clearly a first string Mendy. Um, Kepa made another uh, mistake at the weekend uh, after coming back from Spain duty. Caballero has obviously kind of always been our, our cup keeper, most likely. What What's the... What's the sense you get around the club, around the goalkeeping situation? Are, are they just... Is Frank just, you know, essentially praying that Mendy's going to be healthy all year now? Is, is that kind yeah, of the... Frank, Frank will now be praying that Mendy's healthy all year. You know, the, the fact that Mendy played last night tells you everything, um, mm -hmm. because he, he he wasn't he wasn't meant to. You know, he I, medically he could obviously play. Look, I'm not I'm not um, accusing the club of of being irresponsible in terms of the way they've handled him, but in a normal situation. 
he would have had a very light session on the Sunday, maybe to check his thigh and another very light session. And maybe they'd have looked at trying to see whether he was ready for Man United. But it's not the, the mistake at the weekend from Kepa Men. It wasn't a normal situation. And unfortunately for them, um, he came through two, two proper training sessions well and was able to play. Um, that tells you everything. You know, if, if he can play, he will play now. You know, if, there's, if he can be on the field, he'll be on the field. There won't be any sort of um, resting him or rotating him or, or looking at that. He is number one now. And, and remember, you know, Lampard played in an era where Petr Cech played every single game, you know, that there was no question about it. So I, I think Frank's used to that, that the goalkeeper really is the number one. What will disappoint the club is that I think the club hoped that Mendy's arrival might bring something out of Kepa in much the same way they've had in the past where, you know, Begovic didn't play an awful lot, but he was great for Courtois. Um, you know, they, they had Courtois being great for Czech and, and vice versa on, on that relationship. Kudicini with, with Czech. They hoped that Mendy and Kepa, as a club, they hoped that Mendy and Kepa would almost feed off each other and it would become a real battle. And that Southampton game, I think, has killed off any chance of there being a real battle and and that and that Kepa almost rising to the occasion because I'd imagine that Kepa's confidence is is as low as it can ever have been. Um, and I just don't see now how he'll get that back because he's just not going to get the games to play it. I felt a bit sorry for him against Southampton. Look, I know it's annoying that he made the mistake, but let's face it, he was stitched up a little bit by Kurt Zuma. How he dealt with it from there wasn't the best. But when you're a goalkeeper low on confidence and just trying to avoid mistakes. You don't need a pass like that from from Kurt Zuma at, at that stage of the game. Yeah, he doesn't want to get sent off as he makes that challenge, which is kind of why he hesitated in that situation. But it's you're right. It's not getting any breaks. I did think he was better than kind of pre Edouard Mendy coming in, but it's still not where we want him to be so it's also it seems to be the effect he has on everybody else I mean yeah I mean look clearly clearly he unsettles things just by his very presence and that's unfortunate but there's a sense of panic just with him being there and while I'm sure all the team want him to do well and uh, he's obviously got allies in the team um, whether they fully trust him now whether they fully trust him behind them I'm not so sure and that, that breeds mistakes from everybody. So, unfortunately, just, the situation's just got really unhealthy for everybody. Well, one of the things that got unhealthy really quickly and then disappeared uh, during the international break and last time we spoke was the whole concept of the big picture, uh, the Premier League equivalent of a trickle-down economics plan that uh, did not go over terribly well. And, you know, I think we saw that Manchester United and Liverpool got a lot of the headline clippings, as it were, for driving forward the project. But I just want to understand, like, where where was Chelsea in all of this? Was Chelsea a driving force? Was Chelsea active in the conversations? Was this something that they had hoped to see kind of come to fruition? Or were they more just a passenger and letting some of the other clubs really be the driving force and was going to go where the wind took it? They were active in the conversations and they've got to be. You know, as much as I don't like Project Big Picture, um, I understand that Chelsea have got to be active in those conversations. They can't possibly let um, certain clubs 
try and drive the future of football without trying to be part of it. Um, that that would be crazy. So the minute they know that that's happening, they have to have an active part in it, even if it's an active negative part. Although I don't think it really got that far with Chelsea. For sure, Liverpool, Manchester United and Rick Parry were driving that, that project and were trying to bring others along with them. And one of those others was Chelsea. Chelsea are always in an awkward position with these things because Bruce Buck has a very important role on the Premier League board. Um, I mean, he pretty much was in charge of, uh, of recruiting the last Premier League chief executive, Richard Masters. So it puts him in a slightly odd position um, because he wouldn't want to be acting behind the Premier League's back, whereas others can without the same kind of comeback because they don't have a role as such within the Premier League, albeit they are stakeholders as, as just being members of the Premier League. So Chelsea did have a role in it. I don't think it was a, a leading role. I do think it was an active role. And I do think when we hear about the, the follow-on things like the, the potential European Super Leagues and things, Chelsea always have an active role because they've got to. It doesn't mean that they're massively for it and massively pushing it. I actually think of all the big six, Chelsea have always struck me as the most reluctant. Um, you've got to remember that a lot of the other, you know, there's the, obviously the American ownership at United and Liverpool that, that seems to be key in this and at Arsenal. I've always felt with Chelsea's ownership that they still retain a great value in the traditions of English football and the traditions of the Premier League. I don't sense that they want to break away from that. What I do sense is that they are with the others in feeling that they should get a greater share of the broadcasting revenue, that they feel that the clubs who bring in the biggest revenue should therefore take away a greater share. I fully believe that they, they sign up to that, but I, I don't think that they love the idea of breaking away from the traditions of English football and the, the Premier League. So I think of all of them, all of those clubs, they possibly value that the highest. Um, and also I think that there's a realisation with Chelsea that maybe they still have um, quite a traditional fan base from that perspective who who came, a lot of them came with them through the 80s and 90s and are still there, um, who wouldn't react well to it at all. I'd be interested to get your guys' opinions though because, you know, you're, you're Premier League football fans based in America and I've got to admit that, you know, there was a lot said in this country, in England, about, oh, this is just for American fans, this is just for global fans and it's not for the English fans. How do you guys feel about it? Did you like the plan or did you hate the plan like a lot of people did? Um, uh, so I think the if you, if you boil it down to its core, the economics have to change at some point, right, for lower league football. Like that, that is kind of abundantly clear. I, I don't think this plan necessarily achieved that main goal in a way that was sustainable over a period of time. Like, our friends at the Chelsea fan cast were kind of talking about this as well. And it, it seemed like the EFL was willing to sell almost every asset they had to just mm -hmm. kind of make it through this tough period. And so, you know, I, I know that Rick Perry's brought up a lot of different ideas, right. And he's kind of an idea guy and he's just like, you know, his, his last interview before it didn't kind of go through voting was like, I don't know, I brought up a bunch of things here and no one said anything differently, but they're all shooting this idea down. So I would love to have other people share their ideas about how, yeah. you know, EFL or 
you know, League One or any of the non-leagues are going to survive this pandemic. And I think he makes a fair point. But, it, you know, at what cost, maybe, is kind of my perspective. And, like, it, it did not shock me, Dan, that the uh, the Glazers and the Fenway Sports Group were were okay with, with doing that. But do you guys wow. care about watching would you prefer to see Chelsea every week playing a Juventus or a, an Inter Milan or a, you know Barcelona or a Real Madrid or even a Seville rather than a Southampton an Aston Villa a Leeds United I think I mean I think there's excitement you know in in that without a doubt um I mean we've been spoiled it's like well we've had both we've been able to watch the league and we've been in the Champions League all bar one season essentially like we we've kind of been able to have both so for it to change i mean i again i'm i'm okay if like the structure needs to change it was just really uncomfortable that like the legacy six stakeholders kind of control the power because i think um as i read about different leagues you know the premier league is one of the few and it's it's changing to be better that have like one-to-one vote representation um, especially amongst the media deals. Like I believe in La Liga, Barcelona, and Madrid were like negotiating their own media deals. And then the rest of the league were like, no, we're good because you'll be on four times anyways because you're going to play these teams twice. So we're good. And it, it, it didn't help. So I think I'm all for, especially now that the world has changed so significantly, taking a look and potentially revamping it. But I think they're right to shut it down right away just in principle and say you're kind of negotiating in bad faith for the rest of the group. And so we just think that, again, have a discussion, but as a group, as a collective, because mm-hmm. I think that's what's made the Premier League so strong and they could potentially lose that. Well, you're you're also saying this is, I think, unequivocally the deepest league in the world. Uh, as it's currently constructed, there there is no kind of Bayern or, or Real Madrid or Barcelona syndrome that you get in the Premier League. You know, Liverpool going on the run they did last year is a once-in-a-generation type of thing. It's not a every-year thing. So it, it yeah, I guess I, I feel more traditionally about it, even though I don't really have the right to. It's not like I was born there and I've supported an EFL club before or whatever, but... I, I don't know. D- Dan, do you have any thoughts on, on structure or consolidation of power? Well, it's just, you know, when you can get Aston Villa whooping up on Liverpool 7-2, how could you want to change the unpredictability and the excitement of what can happen there? I, I think, yeah, it's great to get to play the Champions League sides like a Juventus or a Madrid on a regular basis, I think it is good to put, you know go toe to toe against the top talent. I think that that sometimes gets the best out of Chelsea. Chelsea have this really odd play to the talent level that they're at sometimes syndrome, and uh, so maybe we would get better results more regularly with the talent we have on the pitch. But in general, I I think that that beca- you know becomes less special if it's something that you are doing every week, and I think the takes you away from what makes Chelsea special in general, which is just the the supporters, the atmosphere, um, you know, and you can be in the ground and, you know, the kind of culture that, that grew up around the club. Yeah, it's, I think maybe, Matt, that's like the, the, the point that everyone should be considering, right? In addition to how do the lower leagues survive and how does the, that structure change? Because 
it needs to. You know, I think it would be wholly unfair to expect if, if Chelsea were in some sort of European Super League supporters to travel home and away, right? You know, well, this is it. Just... it would kill it would kill sort of the away. I mean, England's unique for its away fans as well. I mean, it, not not any of the leagues have the traveling away fans. You know, even in in Spain, Barcelona to lots of games will just take sort of 500 fans and things. They don't have an away an away culture. Whereas the away culture, some fans only go to away games. Some fans don't like going to home games. They just like going to away games. That's the culture. And you don't have it anywhere else where you have two or 3,000 fans. And for an FA Cup tie, sometimes even more, you know, you can have five or 6,000 fans or whatever traveling to games. Just doesn't happen. And it would kill that culture. It would absolutely rip it to pieces, which would turn off a lot of people from, from football. So... I think it's dangerous. I think it's dangerous, but I also appreciate that, and it's only realistic that that clubs like Chelsea have to be. It would be lovely. I'm sure some fans would love for Chelsea to turn around and say, "No, we're not going to be part of those talks because we're going to take a moral stance." But that would, from a commercial point of view and the the well-being of the football club, be ridiculous. They have to be in those conversations, even if it's just to say, "Come on, guys, let's be sensible about what we're trying to do here." Um, I'm not saying that is the case because I do think Chelsea are like the others looking to maximise revenues as much as possible, particularly as we've spoken about before, that they don't have the stadium revenues that others have. But I also don't think that Chelsea are trying to look to rip up English football. Well, um, clearly there'll, there'll be another discussion about this. And it was at 2023, 2024 is the big 24. Champions League. Yeah, 24. Look, I, I, my personal opinion is that I think the latest one that come, has come out the European Super League will end up just as a shakedown of a, of a revamp of that Champions League that they've been looking to do for a while and was always the plan for 2024. I, I don't think we're going to be in a situation where we suddenly have a, a different European Super League upon us. I just think the Champions League is going to end up looking a little bit different uh, and probably it won't be too too shocking for anyone when, when it comes down to it. These negotiations tend to start high like any negotiation and, and sort of come down from there. I think what's what's upset a lot of people is there just seems to be a little bit of opportunism, opportunism in the um, the timing of it all. It feels a little bit like not necessarily Chelsea, but Fenway and and other people have have used what we're currently in as a way of accelerating other talks, and that just feels a little bit sort of wrong. Yeah, I think that's I think that's really fair. Um, so crisis talks. Chelsea's not ruining English football is what you're saying because well, the whole narrative's been the other the other way, Matt. That's the not entire thing. I know. I don't think Chelsea. Chelsea are out to, to make money for sure, but I don't think Chelsea are out to ruin English football. All right, we'll leave it to the American owners to do that. <laughs> we have we have one bonus question though. Go on, Matt. We we got to get it in. Go on, Ross Barkley, great player or greatest ever player? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> No, he's not Jack Grealish yet, so you, you, I can't have him. Ah, there you go. But he he's started got, well, hasn't he? He started well. It seems like he's he's settled into having a bigger role at, at Villa, uh, which has suited him. It's confidence player. It's working for him. And your your Aston Villa team are in an uncomfortably high position, but good for you. I'm you, sure you're enjoying it. You guys have a third of the points you had all last year already. <laughs> you know, do you know what? I worked out, I worked out the other day how long it took us last season to get to 12 points. And it was three months. Three months we still haven't got to 12. 
12 points and now we're four games and 12 points. I'm already trying to work out when we could be safe by. I'm still on that mode. You're so, up. You're up. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Matt. Interesting point on Bartley, just to go on. I think some of the loanies are doing quite well. I read last night that um, Mark Way at Swansea is apparently doing superbly well. The Swansea fans are all over him. Mm-hmm. And um, I know I'm because of watching the championship with Villa, I still obviously sort of keep an eye on it. I know, know people who are absolutely keyed into the championship and they're already raving about Mark Way. So he's he started really, really well by the sounds of it. Great. Yeah. We'll definitely try to wrap him up on the on the Lone Army review. But yeah, Matt, again, thanks so much for jumping on. It's been a huge pleasure. Um, we're going to keep doing these things. Obviously, go subscribe to Telegraph. He's got his weekly newsletter. Uh, well worth the subscription. Uh, that's going to wrap us up. Next episode this week is the Man United preview. That'll be coming out on Friday. So that's a wrap from us Chelsea fans. So until next time, you know what to do. Keep the blue flag flying high.